Today we have the privilege to celebrate again the blessing of God upon this church, and he has done it in so many different ways. One of the ways that he has done it is uh, this church has been blessed to have many uh, young children uh, being born, and uh, today we have the privilege of celebra celebrating with the Clardy family. So I'm going to invite uh, certainly Lauren and Corey and any others that you have coming with you. Just be sure Riley Kate comes up with you as well. So. Obviously, many of us know the Clardy family already as they've been a part of this church for many years, and uh, actually we've had the privilege of doing this with other children with them as well, so it's nice to be able to, to continue that journey with this family, and as we do so, uh, they already understand, but I want to at least ask them some questions in front of you so that maybe it will help others to understand what we're actually doing. This is more than a ritual. This is more than some obligation that parents have, but rather this is a statement not only of their own faith, but it's a statement of what they plan to do for this child. Um, so let me begin by just asking Lauren and Corey, uh, is it your desire today to raise Riley Kate in such a way that she would see what it is to be a child of God and that you would show her constantly through home, through church, through prayer, through reading of scriptures in your home, uh, through everything that you do? Is it your desire to raise her in a godly manner? And if that's your intent, would you please say that is? Um, they are committing here today to model Christ before Riley Kate. Now, I'm going to tell you that Riley Kate will watch everything they say and do. Uh, in fact, she probably already is. Right now, her eyes are closed, but she probably already is watching almost everything that they do. Uh, if you think that you are absolved from responsibility in this, then you are mistaken. Because the truth is, Riley Kate will not only look to her mom and dad, but she will look to you, the people that she's around in church and in fellowship. I see other family members that are here, various events in the community. She will look to you. And she will imitate the things that she has seen. So just as I have asked Corey and Lauren if they would be willing to say that that's their desire, that they will live in that way, I want to ask you the same question. Will you commit to living in such a way that as Riley Kate watches you, she will see Christ in your actions? And if she repeats your actions... She'll actually be imitating Christ himself. You know, uh, one of the most powerful verses of scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where the apostle Paul says, be imitators of me just as I also imitate Christ Jesus. Will you take that covenant that the apostle Paul had taken to where if she becomes an imitator of you, she will be imitating Christ Jesus. If you will commit to that, will you respond with, we will. All right, I get to hold her. You flip her around like she's a doll. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, we are privileged to be able to celebrate life, a beautiful life that has been given to this family and, yes, even to this church. And we pray right now that you would allow your hand to be upon Riley Kate and that already you would begin to order her steps, that you would protect her, that you would provide for her every need. I pray that she would grow to be a healthy, beautiful young lady who will actually change the world. 
We also pray that up until that day comes that you would already begin to work in Corey and Lauren and each of our lives as we live by example in front of her. That if she were to imitate us, she would by nature also be imitating Christ Jesus. I pray today for your anointing to be on her. I pray that everything that takes place in her life, that she would never walk in a way that you are not involved with her life. But we dedicate her to you now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I just want to point out, I was far more gentle in the exchange than what you were. That's what you did. Thank you. It is a privilege to be able to celebrate life, and even though I'm harassing Lauren there, Lauren is an amazing mom, and she's an incredible blessing, and we see that already, and it is a privilege that we get to participate in that uh, with them as a family. So, all right, it is uh, with, uh, actually, before I get into the message, I do want us to do something uh, that is unscripted. Uh, I saw online that the President of the United States asked that today also be set aside as a day of prayer, uh, specifically because of the coronavirus. So I would like for us to take a moment just to be able to pray for that. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Father, we come before you today and we are so grateful for your grace and for your mercy. We are so grateful to know that you are faithful even in the midst of turmoil and crisis. Lord, I pray today that first of all, you would put a hedge of protection around as many people as possible, that this virus would not continue to spread in such a drastic way that in, an entire nation is shut down, where individuals are critically ill and some who are actually dying. Lord, I pray that you would protect us. I also pray for those who are involved in the medical side of this. I pray for doctors and nurses who are trying to take care of the sick. I pray that you would touch them, that you would keep them healthy. Thank you for their sacrifice, their willingness to serve when they know that they become more vulnerable in serving. I pray for those who are trying to find cures and vaccines. I pray that you would give them fruit. I, th I pray that as they continue to seek a cure, I pray that you would give them prosperity. Father, I pray today that you would be with those who are affected by this in the manner of fear. Well, we understand that there is wisdom in setting some boundaries, and we do need that. But help us not to just be afraid. Help us to be wise, but help us not to be afraid. Father, I pray that you would, in the middle of a crisis, show up and do a mighty work. I pray for your anointing upon all those who are serving, and I pray that you would allow the church to be a light in the midst of this crisis. Help us to be your hands and feet, even though at times it will make us vulnerable as well. Thank you again for all that you're going to do, even through this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is truly a great opportunity for the church. We obviously would prefer not to be in the midst of crisis, but sometimes it is in the midst of crisis that the body of Christ is most evident. 
Because what ought to happen is we become the hands of feet of hands and feet of Jesus in the midst of that crisis. So I invite you to do so. Again, I do ask that you work with wisdom. Uh, don't be afraid to pray and say, "Lord, is this really what you want me to do?" In fact, we probably ought to be doing that regardless of whether we're in the middle of a crisis. But it is a good thing for us to use wisdom. It is also a good thing for us to trust in the Lord in the midst of it. So both of those come into play. I do want to read the same passage of scripture that I had Maria read earlier. So I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 through 54. Uh, It's a relatively short passage. I'm going to tell you already, I really don't need it all for what I want to talk about today. But there's a reason why I'm reading all five of these verses. Matthew 27, verse 50 through 54 says this. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Truthfully, I only needed to read through verse 51 today, but I love the realization that takes place in 54. As even the centurion, those who were intended to guard to make sure that nothing fishy happened. These were individuals who were well-respected. They were feared. They were individuals of great authority. But the centurion is forced to exclaim that surely he was the Son of God. I wonder if we are that confident that he was the Son of God. Anyways, at the moment of Jesus' death, the curtain that hides the holiest place or the holy of holies, where God dwells, is torn in two from top to bottom to give all people access to God forever. And what I really want you to see today is that the shadow of the cross opens access for all people to experience God. I want you to see, first of all today, the destructive power of sin. We often, so often miss the destructive power of sin. We see the destructive power of sin in places like Columbine or Auschwitz or South Sudan or Sierra Leone Civil War or even our own Civil War or in Montgomery, Alabama in 1963 or in the Parkland Parkland shootings in 2018. We see the destructive power of sin in these gross demonstrations. But what we miss is that the most destructive nature of sin is what it does to relationships. Family against family, friend against friend, husband against wife, and wife against husband, parent and child. But what we continue to miss is that the destructive power of sin is most evident and our relationship with our Creator. Sin creates a wall, a barrier between Creator and creation. Where once there was intimacy, there is now distance. Where once there is 
knowledge. Now there is ignorance. For once there was dependence upon God, we have learned to be independent. Where once there was fellowship, there is disconnectedness. Where once there was trust, there is suspicion. This is what sin does. There's no image as descriptive of the destructive power of sin as the curtain within the temple. Let me show you what I mean by that. First of all, let's consider the history of the curtain. The temple was divided into several courts. The the Old Testament temple where the Jewish people, God's people, actually came for worship. The outer court was as far as Gentiles were allowed to go. The next court was the limit for Jewish women. They could not go beyond the second court. The next for Jewish men. And then the place where the priests performed their sacrifice. And then the most inner place was called the Holy of Holies. The holiest place. The high priest was the only one permitted to enter into the Holy of Holies. And only one day a year could he do that. It was called the Day of Atonement. Uh, The name that is given typically today is Yom Kippur. Anyone else entering would result in death. The high priest entering at any other time would result in death. The entire temple structure was designed for limitation. You can only go so far and then you have to stop. There were barriers. There were inaccessibilities. Nothing symbolized inaccessibility as much as the curtain did. We read about it in a couple places in the Old Testament. The first one is in Exodus 26, verse 31 through 35, and it says this, Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into it by a skilled worker. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the Ark of the Covenant law behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. But the atonement cover, put the atonement cover on the Ark of the Covenant law in the most holy place and place the table outside the curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and put a lampstand opposite it on the south side. So we see a separation that takes place. Leviticus 16.2 says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place. Behind the curtain, in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. A Jewish historian named Josephus described the veil as 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, a Babylonian tapestry with embroidery of blue and fine linen of scarlet also and purple, wrought with marvelous skill. It was an elaborately woven fabric of 72 twisted plaits of 24 threads each. The curtain was imposing high and wide and thick. It is not the kind of thing that you can tear with your own hands. It's not the kind of thing that would even be easy to cut with a knife. The curtain represents the limitations that exist between God and humanity. God takes it seriously, and so do the Israelites. The message is very clear. You cannot go where God is. 
James Stewart writes this. He said, after Calvary, Paul seems to say, no man can possibly imagine that sin does not matter to God. We might make light of sin, its power and its consequences, but not God. God is so serious about sin that when he designs the place where his people come to meet him, he makes it painfully clear that there is distance between them and him. The curtain served to make sure that that distance was kept. What I want you to see is this. The torn curtain reveals God's desire for intimacy once again with us. The tearing of the curtain is an act of revelation about who God is. There is no need for the curtain anymore because in Christ we have a clear and perfect image of God. The distance, the limitations of the curtain was a symbol of our inability to understand who he is. God reveals himself, but we were unable to see it. There was always a sense of hiddenness. There was always sin between God and man from the moment that Adam and Eve committed sin. There was always distance. The curtain is actually God's way of protecting us in many ways. Without the curtain, our eyes would be blinded. It was death to look upon God. Do you remember when Moses wanted to be able to see God? And God said, no, I cannot show you my face because it would be too much for you. You couldn't handle it. The curtain serves to protect humanity. Despite every effort otherwise, God is shrouded in mystery, especially in the Old Testament. Hiddenness and uncertainty. The death of Christ changes all of that. Again, referencing James Stewart's book, A Man in Christ, he writes, everything has been different since the Son of God climbed Calvary. Life has been different. Death has been different. Sin has been different. Faith and hope and love have been different. Round the wide universe, the arms of the cross have reached. Its head has touched the heavens. Its shaft has gone down as deep as hell. Isn't it fascinating that the curtain is torn at the very moment that Jesus dies? There's significance in that. It is not coincidental in any way. It is in the death of Jesus, in that moment when he is able to declare, it is finished. I have completed what I came to do, that the limitations between creation and creator are ripped down. It's not just about access with God, but rather is about oneness with God. I previously pastored at a church in Philadelphia area in Pennsylvania, and right behind where our church was located was Newman University. Newman University is a Catholic institution. They actually still have nuns that meet there and study there. Uh, and I remember one day I received a phone call and I was asked if I would be able to sit down for an interview with one of the nuns who was studying. Of course, I agreed to do so. And we sat in, our off, in my office and as we talked, she asked many, many questions just to better understand the Protestant viewpoint uh, as to why we do some of the things that we do. One of the questions came up, why do you not think that you need to go to a priest for confession or to speak to the Lord. 
I went to this particular passage of Scripture, and I, I said it's very clearly defined in the Scriptures that there was a time that we did need to go to the priest, but when the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom at the crucifixion of Christ, we no longer need anybody else to go to the throne of God, but rather we can go directly to the throne of God. And her response was so appropriate. She said, I have never heard that in my life. So I opened up the scriptures and I showed her and she said, this changes everything. And she was right. This changes everything. We don't need somebody else to go to the Lord to speak on our behalf. We can come boldly before the throne of God and know that he welcomes us into his presence. By the blood of Jesus, he has made us pure so that when we look upon him, when we speak to him, when his spirit chooses to dwell in us, we can rejoice over that instead of fearing that. No one can do anything about the curtain until Jesus comes and causes our sins to be forgiven, allowing us to meet with him. How do we know that this is what Jesus has done? How do we know that the cross has this power, this purpose? Because the curtain is torn in two. The greatest symbol of the distance between humans and God is that curtain, a curtain that is only a few inches thick, but it might as well be a few miles thick. When the shadow of the cross falls on the curtain, everything changes. As Jesus breathes his last breath, the shadow of the cross becomes like a knife that starting at the top of that 60-foot beautifully or, or designed curtain, it begins ripping it down to the very last blue and purple thread. Again, James Stewart says, it is an outstanding characteristic of Paul's religion that when he thinks of reconciliation and peace with God, the thought of the cross is never far away. He speaks of Jesus reconciling men unto God by the cross, according to Galatians 3.28 making peace through the blood of his cross, according to Colossians 1.20. Everything points to the cross. Know that the curtain is torn to give all people access to God. All of us become special in the cross. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. One scholar says that when the veil rips, something is destroyed, but also something that was previously hidden comes into view. The torn veil symbolizes a new revelation. The veil that shielded the holiest part of the temple where God's glory resided was torn away. The veil of secrecy is lifted and all could see the face of God and the love of God in Jesus' death. This was perhaps one of the most beautiful moments in all of history. God being revealed to humanity. It just happened to be at the exact same time that perhaps the other most beautiful thing in all of human history would take place, the crucifixion of Jesus, laying down his life so that our sins might be forgiven. At the same time, the torn veil lets something out. God's glory cannot be confined to a national shrine of frozen stone, but now floods the world. In addition, the tearing of the veil signifies that the barrier between God and humanity has been torn away. It vividly reveals the at one now available between God and humanity. God will no longer be roped off from others. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. No one is more special than anyone else. All people are special. Everyone has equal access to God. What Paul writes about Jews and Gentiles, males and females, slaves and free, is rooted in the torn curtain. Barriers are broken down between God and us so that they are broken down between each other. I wonder if the church ever puts up curtains. Have we figured out exactly who deserves to come into the presence of a holy God? Is there something about you that makes you more deserving of entering into the Holy of Holies? Perhaps you're a better person. Perhaps you've been a Christian longer than others. Perhaps you have more integrity. Perhaps you've been through some really difficult things. Do these things entitle you to have access to God more than others would? What curtains do we put up? The religious people were experts at putting up curtains. Jesus' whole ministry is with people who had been denied access. People who have the least access. Even after Jesus' death, beautiful image is when Peter and John are on their way to the temple. And as they go to the temple, there's a man who is begging for money, for alms. Not sure which one says it. We typically give credit to Peter because he talked a lot. One of them reaches down and says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give freely. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And suddenly he helps him to his feet. And this man who has been lame all the days of his life begins to walk and run and dance and celebrate like never before. He was at the temple gate. Pretty soon, people begin to notice that this is taking place. And suddenly, this man finds himself in front of all the religious leaders. Do you know where he would have met? In the temple. 
It's ironic because up until this day, that man had likely never been allowed in the temple because he was imperfect, he was unclean. See, those are the very kinds of people that God wants to reach. Those who are unclean, who are filthy, who are still in the midst of their sin. God desires intimacy with them just as much as he desires intimacy with you. But for some of us, we have put up barriers to determine who can come in and who can be a part of the body of Christ. Our role is not to decide who is in or who is out. God alone is qualified to make that decision. Jesus removed the curtain for the tax collector. He removed it for the woman caught in adultery. He removed it for the Samaritan woman at the well, an unclean woman. He removed it for the unclean leper, for the Gentiles. God is a curtain-tearing, barrier-breaking God. To do anything else is to turn against the purposes of God. Our role is to be the ones who cause people to meet this God who loves them instead of creating more curtains that keep out unworthy people. We are called to introduce people to the one who has torn the curtain and opened the way. If you remember at the beginning of 2020, I challenged the church, what if each individual within the church would reach out to one individual who did not yet know Christ as their Savior? What kind of an impact could this church make if we began to allow that curtain that has been torn to be thrown away? To never again keep others from finding Christ, but rather we took serious what Christ was trying to do, which was to experience intimacy with all those who do not yet know Christ. What if we took that role seriously and we began to share with those people whom we love and care about on a regular basis? This world would be changed. There would be many more walking in intimacy with God because that curtain has been torn, opening up the door for each of us and each of them. The torn curtain actually serves as a call to be holy as he is holy. I'm going to use a word that's, I don't know if it's the right word to use, but it's deconsecration. Do you remember the burning bush story for a minute? In Exodus, as Moses approaches this burning bush, he is told to take off his sandals, for the place where he is standing is holy ground. Similarly, Joshua would later have an encounter with God, and he would be told the exact same thing. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. In both cases, what made the ground holy was the presence of a holy God. It was just ordinary ground until the Lord showed up, and then it became holy. Well, there is some speculation that the tearing of the curtain is, for a lack of a better term, the deconsecration of the temple. The idea is that when the curtain is torn, the place is no longer holy. It's just as common as any other place. And I do understand the mindset, and I agree sort of to a point. I agree that this tells us that God is not limited to one place 
But God has never been limited to one place. I wonder if a better understanding of what is attempting to be said here is not that there is no longer anything holy, but that there is no longer anything common. The holiness of God has not been minimized. Rather, the commonness of God's creation has become consecrated because the Spirit of God does not just dwell in this holy of holies, this one single room, but the Spirit of God is now poured out into all of humanity. And it's not that that place is no longer holy, but now we ought to be holy. Because the Spirit of God now dwells in you and me. This is a call to be holy, just as he is holy. Hebrews 6, verse 18 to 20 says, We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. The Spirit of God now dwells in us. Therefore, we ought to be holy. I do wonder what the people inside the temple thought when the veil, when the curtain was torn. Did they put up a new curtain? Not really sure what to think. Such an awesome thing when you think about it, but it's also a very frightening thing. I don't know what to do. What, what should I do with all of this? I don't know how to handle this. It's somewhat disconcerting. It's kind of like when the Israelites entered into the promised land, and they were so tired of manna. They had had it every single day for years. They were tired of it. At times, they complained about it because, man, it's the same thing all the time. Every morning they would get up and they would collect the manna because they needed it for nourishment and food. You would think that they'd be excited to no longer need manna, but I will guarantee you that that first morning that they woke up in the promised land and God intended for them to eat from the fruit of the land that they were given, that there were those who panicked. Because when they woke up that morning, there was no manna found on the ground. What are we going to do? It's what we know. It's what we're comfortable with. I don't know if I like change. It makes us very uncomfortable. By the way, God was still going to provide for them. He was just doing it a different way. I imagine those in the temple, for many, when the curtain was torn, it made them very uncomfortable. They knew that if they looked upon the face of God, they themselves could be destroyed. They knew that they were given very specific instructions of how to handle the Holy of Holies. This was a big deal for them. But it also ought to be a big deal for you and me. In this moment, it's almost like it dumped responsibility on people. We can't pass the buck anymore. There's no one left between me and God. I can't blame the priest. I can't blame the pastor there's no barrier anymore. All of a sudden, we are all on the same level because we all have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to the Holy of Holies. This is not just about accessibility to God. This is not just about oneness with God. This is about God's desire for us to be holy, just as He is holy.
And as we look at the veil, the curtain that was torn, we know that he has given given us access to his throne. Will you take advantage of it? He's given us access to his spirit. Will you allow his spirit to reign in your life? If you will, God will change not only you, but the world around you. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, I pray that you would help us to truly see you face to face. I pray that you would allow your spirit to dwell within each of us. Thank you for tearing the veil of the temple. Thank you for taking that curtain and ripping it so that we are no longer divided from you. Lord, I pray today that each of us will walk in intimacy with you. Maybe for some of us today, we have not taken serious this gift. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to recognize that you're not just looking for obedience from us. You're not just looking for us to keep a list of do's and don'ts. You desire intimacy with us. May we experience that today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I have one last thing to share with you, and I know that my time is out already, but the tearing of the curtain is actually the next step from Jesus' cleansing of the temple. If you remember, just prior to Jesus' crucifixion story, he goes through the temple and he finds the money changers exchanging and buying goods instead of actually worshiping. He tells them that you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And out of frustration and anger, he flips over their tables and he clears out the temple. The tearing of the curtain is merely the next step from Jesus cleansing the temple. It is a sign that he is indeed the king of the Jews. And in this, what he is doing is he is finishing what he started. See, those tables where the money changes were, that was in the outer courts where they thought it was okay. God didn't just want to fix what happened in the outer court. He wanted to fix what was taking place in the inner court. In the same way, God desires not just to change what's happening on the outside of us. He desires to change who we are in here. And I believe that God is perhaps doing that in people today. I pray that he is. Thank you for being a part of our service this morning. I hope that you will be encouraged. I hope that over the next week, you will trust in the Lord and that you will find his strength. I do pray for each of you that you will stay healthy, that in the midst of this, you will find confidence and peace and knowing that God is in control and none of this, not even a coronavirus, catches him by surprise. He is still on the throne and he is still desiring to work. Thank you for being with us. For those who are online, thank you for being a part of our service today. Go in peace.